0: Now, about six hundred men, and Saul and Jonathan his son, and the people that were present with him, with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash, and the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. <clears throat> One company turned under the way that leadeth to Ophrah, under the land of Shual, and another company turned the way to horon And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yea, they had a file for the mattocks. And for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. And so it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Micmash Now I want you to notice verse 22 again. That's our text. So it came to pass, a little confusing um, if if you're not careful, it's a little confusing. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. And so you sort of read it one way, and then it sounds like you're reading it another way. And so I want to see if I can... Uh, Uh, If the Holy Spirit can shed a little light on that for you tonight, and uh, actually what we just read was an amazing passage of Scripture, and we're going to, we didn't read the whole passage tonight, we're going to go back and talk about some of the verses that come before that tonight, so the weapons of our warfare. I couldn't wait to get here tonight teach this to you. I think it's, boy, I think this is going to help somebody tonight. It's really helped me. It's encouraged me. And it's, it's, it's strengthened me. And I believe it's going to help somebody else tonight. So you chose a good night to be here. Every night's a good night to choose to be here, to be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest who I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for those folks who don't come. Right. And you know what? You can't get help if you don't come. Yeah. And, and Lord knows we need all the help we can get nowadays. And so, well, my heart just aches. It just aches. But anyway, I'm glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. You may be seated, and we're going to pray, and we're going to jump right into the Bible study tonight, and I believe, I believe it's going to be a help. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together tonight, and we appreciate the good singing. We appreciate the music. Lord, everything that's been done, thank you for, as Brother Brandon's already mentioned, thank you for the wonderful missionaries that we support and Lord, what a blessing it is for us to, to, to stay up to date with our missionaries, at least the best we can. And Lord, we just appreciate this privilege to be here tonight. And as I've already said, Lord, it just seems to me like at least, and I'm, I'm sure uh, to others it's a little bit harder because they've worked so hard today and they're so tired by now. And uh, so Lord, we'll not be long, but this is, this is going to be a meaningful time. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll knit our hearts together. And I pray, Lord, as we've prayed many times on Wednesday night, I pray that you would give our people a supernatural dose of energy and stamina. God, that they could not only stay awake, but that they could listen intently and learn from your word tonight. And so, Lord, help us, touch us physically, touch us spiritually tonight. Heavenly Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over the service Lord, I pray you'd accomplish your will and Lord, please bind the powers of darkness and don't allow them to uh, distract and to take away from this time tonight. Bless the live stream and God may it flow out seamlessly tonight and I pray that folks would receive help. We pray that Christ will receive glory and praise and honor from all that's done. Save the lost, encourage the saved. We love you and praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. And so, so 1 Samuel chapter 13, what an incredible chapter this is. And so, let me, let me give you a little background, tell you what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Basically, and we didn't read this part, but basically, a battle is about to break out between Israel and the Philistine army. Now, there's so much we could say here tonight. We won't take the time to do all that. But but I but I'll say this: the Philistine army possesses a great advantage. And when I say great, that's probably not even the right word to use. Uh, I mean great. Now, first of all, they have a great advantage in number. Notice uh, 1 Samuel 13, and look at verse number 5, if you will. 1 Samuel 13, verse number 5. Now, don't forget what we read just a moment ago. The Bible says there were 600 men with Saul, 600, 600. And look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. The Bible says the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And look at this, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in micmash east, eastward from Beth Haven. So they have an, they, they're, they've outnumbered the Israelites. Now, we talk about two to one. It's much more than that. They're, they are as the sand of the sea, the Bible says. And so uh, here they come, and, 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 and I encourage you, go back in your devotions and read the whole chapter and basically, what we find here is the people are scared out of their wits. Uh, they, they pretty much went to their homes. They're hiding in the holes. They're hiding in the caves. Um, some of them have deserted. They've left Saul. They've left Jonathan. And they're just scared to death that they're going to be wiped out. And, uh, and so the Israelites in number, is just a, a certain few, and the Philistine army has Vast numbers. But not only do they have an advantage in number, but this is the part I want you to notice. But we notice here also they have an incredible advantage in weapons. In weapons. In fact, our Bible says out of all the people of Israel that the only two people that have weapons are Saul and Jonathan. <laughs> Look at it in First Samuel 13, verse number 22. Again, it's a little confusing, but if you, you know, study it out, verse 22, so it came to pass in the day of battle, that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. In other words, none of the people had weapons, but Saul and Jonathan did have weapons. That's what he's saying. The only two people out of all the Israelites that had a weapon was Saul and his son Jonathan. Now, that just leads me right into the message tonight. So I want us to notice, first of all, the strategy of the enemy, the strategy of the enemy. The, the, the Philistine strategy was this we're gonna remove every blacksmith out of the land. And that's gonna make it impossible for any weapon to be, to be made. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, Now there was no smith. Now that's smith, that doesn't mean John Smith. Uh, That's a blacksmith. That's what that means. Now, there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. And so the Israelites were under oppression from the Philistine army. And basically, the Philistines had had rid uh, Israel and Judah. They had rid Israel of blacksmiths. And so there was no way for them to make any kind of sword or spear or anything like that. And so this was all in their strategy. Not only that, but we notice this, that even if the Israelites wanted their, their uh, farming and their, their, their farm tools sharpened, then they had to go down to the Philistines to have their farm implements sharpened. Look at it, if you will, in uh, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 20 and not only did they have to go to the Philistines to get their farm tools sharpened, but they got charged to do it. Verse number 20, but all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share. That's a hoe. Uh, and his coal turned, that'd be something like a shovel. So his hoe and shovel, his axe and his mattock. Verse 21 says, yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the cultures and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goats. And there again, that's just a little bit confusing there. But the word file there, they had a file. They had a file for the mattocks and for the cultures. If you study that out, the word file there is the idea of a charge. In other words, none of the Israelites had weapons. All they had were hoes and shovels and and, uh, pitchforks and things like that. And if they wanted those things sharpened, Well, they were forced to go down to the Philistine garrison, and the Philistines had the tools to sharpen uh, the Israelites' farm tools, and then on top of that, they were uh, charged for every tool that was sharpened. Now you say, Pastor, what in the world? What's going on? Let Let me say this. This was the Philistines' way of keeping track of everything that Israel had. And so they had already taken all the blacksmiths out of the land. Those men that knew how to, you know, create those swords and spears, all those men were gone. And then on top of that, if you want your hoe or your your shovel sharpened, you've got to come to us to get it sharpened. We're going to charge you. But it also told the Philistines... This is what this family has. This family has two shovels. This family over here has two hoes. This family over here has an axe, and so they were able to keep track of everything that Israel had. Now, again, I don't know if you're following me yet or not, but we see a we see an amazing strategy here, and so Philistia uh, was keeping a was keeping track. Of everything, even the things that the Israelites could possibly use for a weapon, they were keeping total track of those things. Yes, You say, Pastor, is that important? I think it's very important because I believe this. I believe it's an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament truth. Did you know the enemy is also keeping track of your life? So anybody that thinks that, that, that the devil and his imps aren't focusing on you is very mistaken. The devil is tracking you. He knows what you like. He knows what you don't like. He knows, what, uh, uh, he knows what causes you to be weak. He knows those sins that, by the way, those sins that may not bother me, that bother you. He knows. You see, there are certain temptations that Satan may not use in my life. He may use in your life. Because it's not necessarily the things that bother me. Okay, all right. Uh, for instance, as I mentioned on Sunday, thank God I never really yielded to that, uh, to that uh, temptation of alcohol. And so I really believe this. You could come to me tonight and you could offer me some, you know, some Jim Beam or vodka or something like that. And I'd say, you're wasting your time. Not a, it's not a temptation at all to me. There are others here tonight who were saved out of that lifestyle. You were saved out of that background, and although you're keeping yourself separate, that's something that you have to be very careful about. Why? Because it, is a, it's, it, 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 it used to be a problem in your life. By the way, Satan knows that. He knows if your weak point is pornography. He knows if your weak point is gambling. He knows if your, your weak point is uh, well, whatever it may be. And so please understand something, that Satan and the enemy is keeping track of your life. How many, in fact, why don't we just turn over there tonight. Turn over to Job chapter 1 in your Bibles. Job chapter 1, just to sort of solidify this point that I'm trying to make. We notice in Job chapter 1 that Satan was very keenly aware of what was going on in Job's life. In Job chapter 1 and verse number 8, notice Job 1 and verse number 8. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Satan... Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and issueth evil? Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and all that he hath on every side? Now, again, you can read that however you want to read it, but you know what that tells me? That tells me, number one, that Satan knew about Job. It also tells me that Satan knew about Job's house. And it also tells me that, Job, that, that Satan knew about all the other things going on in Job's life and about all that he hath on every side. Look what he says. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. And so Satan was very aware of what was going on in Job's life. He knew what made Job tick. He knew those things that would set Job off. He knew those people that maybe would, would, would uh, rub, rub Job the wrong way. And Satan knew. By the way, Satan knows about you too. He knows that person that he can bring by your way that they know how to push the right button. Coincidence that they just happened to come by? I doubt it. Is it a coincidence you know if you're if you have a problem with lust or a problem with pornography is it a coincidence that the guy beside you by the way you didn't mean for it to happen but uh, the guy beside you on the bus or the train or the plane or whatever the case may be uh, you know pulls out a skin magazine uh, coincidence I don't think so you see Satan is very aware of what's going on in your life the enemy is tracking you. And we notice here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we notice that the strategy of the enemy is to rid you defenseless and to take away your weapons. Man, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even see this until just a little while ago. But really, this is our first biblical uh, look into organized gun control. That's what's going on. They didn't have guns, but they had swords and they had spears and things like that. And the enemy said, oh, no, 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 you're not having those. And you're not having any, any blacksmiths that could create those things for you. And so they put all the, all the blacksmiths out of the land. And, and the strategy of the enemy was to rid these people defenseless by taking away their weapons. Now, I know we've got some gun lovers in here tonight without a shadow of a doubt. Some of you have a uh, arsenal at your house, and you know what? And, and we never thought we never thought it'd ever get like this in America. But it's getting harder and harder and harder just to go in a store and buy ammunition. I mean, we never thought we'd get to the place where you couldn't even go in a store and buy thirty-eight special ammo. But little by little, there are groups in America who are trying to make it much harder for us to to buy bullets to put into our guns and you say pastor what's the strategy the strategy is to leave us defenseless and by the way the gangsters and the criminals always have the guns it's the innocent people that don't have the guns amen that's true whether we like it or not that is true and so again the enemy their strategy is to leave us defenseless defenseless now again I want you to think about being defenseless because that's what that's where the devil wants you. He doesn't want you to have a weapon. I hardly ever, I hardly ever, ever go into a restaurant and not carry some type of a weapon. You say, preacher, that's awful. It's awful until something happens. Then you'll be trying to get in the booth with me, amen? But there's a reason for that, though. There's a reason. Many years ago, I was watching television and I was watching a young lady do an interview and she was uh, uh, one of these kind of talk shows or something. She was being interviewed by this talk show host and and she said, I met my parents for lunch and she said we were going to go have a great meal together. Her parents were up in age, just a little. And, and she said we were going to have a, 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 a lunch together. I think they met somewhere like a cafeteria or something like that. And she said we went in and we were having a great time. And she said during the course of the meal, an armed uh, gunman walks into the cafeteria and just begins to open fire. Both her mom and dad were tragically killed. But this was the part that got me. She was she was an advocate for gun, not gun control, but gun rights. She believed that you ought to carry a gun. Not only that, but they went on to interview this, this young lady and she was an avid marksman. She was good. She knew how to pull a gun and fire it. I mean, she was good. She knew how to hit something. And yet her mom and dad both died. You know why? Because for some reason on that day, she decided to leave her gun in the car. And she said, had I known, had I, had I known, she said, I knew how to shoot a gun. It was something that, that happened often, but she said, I had no idea that on that day, someone was going to walk into the restaurant and begin opening fire. Now, again, I'm trying to get you in the, in the idea. That's where the devil wants you. The devil wants you to live this life without any kind of defense. And so, someone says, preacher, that's the strategy of the enemy. That's true. So, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the serious weapons of the spirit-filled child of God. What are the the serious weapons of the Spirit-filled child of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 4 says it like this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Boy, aren't you glad that God hasn't left us defenseless? And aren't you glad that God has given you and I some weapons that we can use in our daily Christian life? I'm going to tell you what, it's great being a Christian, but I'm telling you, it's still a struggle. And if you're not struggling, pray for the rest of us, because we're fighting the devil every day, it seems like. And so there, I'm thankful that there are some weapons that God has given us to fight this battle. You say, preacher, what are they? Number one, the first weapon I want to talk to you about is the word of God. Now, we're going to turn some places tonight because it's good for your eyes to fall on these. Turn uh, over to to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, and look at verse number 17. Ephesians chapter 6, and verse number 17 with me tonight, if you will. Now, Ephesians 6, we know what that is. That's talking about the armor of the Lord. But notice, if you will, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 17. And after God talks about the armor of the Lord, in verse 17, he says this. And take the helmet of salvation and the what? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so this book right here is the sword of the Spirit of God. Now somebody says, Preacher, what about this sword? Well, let me show you a little bit about this sword tonight. Take your Bibles and turn over a few pages of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number four in your Bibles. Go right past the book of Titus and find Philemon and uh, Hebrews chapter number four. And look at verse number 17. Oh, this is good right here. Fe- uh, uh, Hebrews chapter four and verse number 12. Found your place, say Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean, preacher? It means it cuts going in and it cuts coming out. I mean, this book that you have in your lap tonight is a powerful book. It's a sharp sword. It's the it is the sword of the spirit. I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said the trouble with many of us is that we're not using the one weapon that God has given us to grant us a sure victory. He said this many of us study the Bible, but it's not enough just to study the Bible. We must learn how to employ the Bible. Years ago, when young men went into the service, the military issued them an an M1 rifle. They were taught how to take it apart and reassemble it. I like this. But they had to do more than just learn about their weapon. They had to learn to use it. And the word of God is a sword and it's meant to be used. And all across America, there are churches who get together and all they want to do is just study this book and study this book. And, 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 and don't, I'm, don't take that wrong. I don't mean that the way it sounds, but I'm just saying this church, we got to get to the place where we don't just study it and know how to assemble it and disassemble it. We better know how to use it. We better know how to put it into use. You say, preacher, I've got a gun and I don't know how to use it, then what good is it? If you've got a gun at your house and you don't have bullets and you don't even know how to load it, all you can do is just throw it at them. But if you've got a 44 magnum and I do and you load those hollow points in that 44 magnum, and you know how to use it. Or if you're here tonight and you've got a 12-gage pump and somebody comes to your door, just let them hear that. Boy, I tell you what, there's no other sound like that sound right there. If you want to put somebody on the, on the run. But it's important you don't just have a weapon, it's important you know how to use it. And that's what, I, that's, that's what we're talking about tonight. Listen, remember the story in Luke chapter 4, where the Bible says that Jesus was led out to the wilderness and Satan himself tempted the Savior. Now, most of us, I'm going to be quite honest with you, most of us, it's probably not the devil that tempts us personally. Most of us are, to be quite honest with you, they're not that important. And most of us are not that strong. And so usually, Satan will just send some of his corporals or maybe a sergeant. But in this specific story, in Luke chapter 4, Satan came himself. Satan was tempting the Lord and we notice here that Satan tempts the Lord with the lust of the flesh. Remember that? He says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones that they may be made bread. Just take that stone right there and just turn it into a loaf of bread. And you're the son of God. You can do that. He tempts Jesus with the lust of the eyes. If you'll worship me, all shall be thine, he said. And he tempts Jesus with the pride of life. If you're the Son of God, cast thyself down from the pinnacle of the temple. Let people see you. Man, they'll be mesmerized. They'll be in awe. And we notice here that the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, Pastor, how did Christ fight the devil? I'll tell you how he fought the devil. He fought the devil the same way that you and I ought to fight the devil, he fought the devil with the sword of the Spirit. And he took that sharp two-edged sword and he ran it in Satan and he ran it back out and it cut both ways. Amen. And he said, Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written. And you know what? Satan couldn't stand the word of God, they had to flee. Now, I'm so glad tonight, thank God. God has given us a book, and this book is used as our weapon. And when the devil comes and tries to get you discouraged, when the devil comes and tries to lead you astray, listen, pull the sword on him. Man, you pull that weapon out, pull the sword of the Spirit out, and start using you. You say, Pastor, I don't even know what you mean. What what are you talking about? Let me ask you this. What is your, what is your, what what are some of your go-to verses when Satan comes. Which I don't, I don't have any. Well, you know what you've got? You've got a gun without any bullets in it. You know what ought to happen here at Calvary Baptist Church? We ought to have some people who say, I'm going to go home tonight. And I'm going to start memorizing this book. And you want to have some verses that when... When Satan comes, when the enemy comes, and he tries to, start, tries to start getting you discouraged, you've got some go-to verses you can go to. Like Psalm 61, one two from the end of the earth. The psalmist said, from the end of the earth, while I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Listen, you need to have some verses that you go to when Satan comes knocking on your door or the imps of hell come knocking on your door. You need to have some places you go. You need to have a book in the Bible or a scripture or a passage in the Bible where when that temptation hits you, uh, don't give in to it, man. You get your sword out and, and get in the sword and start reading and reading and reading and quoting and quoting and quoting and use the sword of the Spirit as your weapon to fight off the enemy amen amen and so number one we notice the word of god is a weapon number two is what i'm going to call the way of prayer now turn back over to ephesians chapter six if you will ephesians chapter six and look at verse number 17 if you will tonight ephesians chapter six and verse number 17 the bible says and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look what verse eighteen says: Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How many know this? That for for soldiers who are actively involved in combat, communication is everything. Now I never served in the military but we have several in our church tonight who have. And you've served in some branch of the armed forces, and and you know that this is absolutely the truth, that communication is key. You see, sometimes when soldiers are in a time of war, they find themselves in great need. You know, every once in a while, especially uh, here recently, when we've been fighting in Afghanistan and, and some of these places that are so mountainous, and a lot of times the enemy already had, the, had the, the high road. They already had the good vantage point. And our boys would have to come from below and try to fight their way up. And the enemy was able to, was able to pick them off because they had a good spot. And a lot of times our guys just couldn't quite get up there. You know what they had to do? They had to get on the radio. And they had to call for some air power. These are the coordinates. Man, we need a bomb drop. And they call for air power. And man, those Air Force guys come over or whoever it may be and they come over and they provide that air support. Sometimes soldiers need ammunition. They run low on ammunition and they need ammunition. Sometimes they just run low on supplies. Sometimes they just need something to eat. Sometimes they need something to drink. And if their line of communication is cut off, you know what, church? It leaves them at a serious disadvantage. That's why, and I know Brother Terry Carson. Brother Terry was a a radio operator in the Marines. And Brother Terry told me one time as we were traveling back from a meeting and just fellowshipping. And he told me, he said, preacher, he said, that's one of the things I did. He said, I was a radio operator in the Marines. And he said, they have a very low life expectancy. He said, because the enemy loves to shoot the radio man. And they hope when they get the radio man, they get the radio. You say, preacher, why is that? Because they want to sever the communication. And if they can sever the communication, the enemy has a great advantage. Now, I'm talking about communication. Boy, think think about this, church. Simple communication is such a great blessing. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, a few months ago, my wife and I were at a funeral, a graveside, helping out in this funeral service. And during the course of the service, I mean, right in the middle, pretty much, right in the middle of the service, a lady fell over and died. I mean, in the funeral service. And, and uh, thankfully, in fact, Brother Jordan Dagenhart was there that day. He was singing, and he and his sister were singing. And his sister's a life flight nurse. And she went into action. Also, that day, there was a, uh, there was a, a police officer, Brother Thomas, who's been here before, and uh, Brother Thomas was there that day. Uh, a police officer had his radio on him. And as soon as this lady fell out and they began to do CPR, man, he just reached for his radio and he said, We need EMS. And you know what, folks? It was almost immediately, it was like the ambulance got there. You know why? Communication. Man, communication. There was communication there that day. And you know when you're fighting a spiritual enemy, you know what you need? You need communication. And you need to be able to call out to God and say, "God, I need I've got a need." Lord, the enemy's fighting me and they've got the high road right now and and Lord, they're shooting down at me and if something doesn't happen, they're gonna take me out. Lord, I need some air power. I need some help. I need some support. And by the way, thank God we've got a God that's more than willing to give you all the support that you can handle. John 15, 7 says it like this, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Jeremiah 33, 3, you know it, don't you? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And and so, you say, Pastor, man, I'm, I'm struggling right now. The enemy is finding our home, he's finding our marriage, he's finding my children. you have any advice? Yes, I do. Use these weapons. And man, you get somewhere. I mean, get in your prayer closet. Get out in the pea patch somewhere. Get down here on the prayer trail. Get in your car and just drive. You don't have to be driving anywhere. Just get in your car and drive. And you need to patch a line through to heaven. Have that royal telephone. And you need to call heaven and say, God, we need some help. And thank God he's willing to give it. And so what are our weapons, pastor? Number one, the word of God. Number two, the way of prayer, but I love this one, man. This is amazing. Number three, I'm going to call it this, the wonder of worship. Now, when I say worship, and that that word worship is being so abused nowadays. When I say worship, I'm not talking about just singing a song, although that's, that's part of it. And I'm not talking about just the posture of the body. Just because you're doing this doesn't mean you're worshiping. I'm more concerned, and I believe God is too. I'm more concerned about the posture of the heart than I am about the posture of the body. But someone says, Preacher, and don't miss this church because this is so good right here. Someone says, Pastor, how can worship be used as a weapon? Can I show it to you? Number one, I want you to turn over. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 22. We're about done, We're, we're almost out of here. Psalm chapter 22 in your Bibles. And I believe we learn a great truth. The wonder of worship. Number one, Calvary, worship invites the presence of God. Now, Psalm 22, this is a messianic psalm, but also Psalm 22, the psalmist is in a bad way here. In Psalm 22, verse one, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. Now, look at verse 3. Verse 3. The psalmist said, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. All thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. I looked up that word inhabitest. You know what it means? It means, look at this, Calvary. The word inhabitest means, it means to sit down. Sit down. What's, what's the Bible teaching there, preacher? When we begin to worship. I mean, when we get involved in genuine worship. You know what God does? God says, you know what? I think I'll just stay a while. I think I'll just stay here. I think I'll just sit down for a little. Oh, yes. I think I'll just sit down and, and stay and stay with you. Oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Now, listen, if you're getting ready to go into a major fight, how many know this? You want some heavy hitters with you? And I won't give you this whole illustration, but, uh, but it's been probably several years since I've even given it. But uh, a number of years ago when my wife and I were in Bible college and we were uh, on a a Sunday night bus route and we would take the teenagers back you know on Sunday night and anyway there was a checkpoint system and, and we would uh, uh, go to a, a big checkpoint in downtown Chicago right off the Dan Ryan Expressway one of the busy expressways in the world and, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest the place we got off was not a great place to get off but we got off at a McDonald's it was a public place but it was in the hood you say the hood what is that? that's the ghettos and we would we would get off in this McDonald's and we would wait for some other buses to arrive. And so that night we came to this McDonald's and, uh, and we were getting off our bus and we were saying our goodbyes to some of our teenage girls and there was a group of gangbangers that pulled into the McDonald's and, they, and we did. We had some pretty girls on our bus route and they began to make some very, uh, very off-color remarks to our teenage girls. And boy, that little redhead over there. She didn't like that. And I was still in, in the bus, and I didn't realize, was, re- realize what was going on, and she had already stepped off the bus, and they were making some really bad remarks to our girls, and my little wife said, you better, you better stop that. Well, then they was getting ready to jump on her. About that time, I walked off the bus and began to s- s- surmise what, what all was going on, and, and I, was, I told them, I said, guys, back off, back off. Well, they just they all started getting out of the car at that point. Man, it had been a long, hot, hard, I think it was July. It wasn't about 130 on that bus that day. And by that time, it was about 11 o'clock at night. We had all of our sleeves rolled up, ties halfway on. And, uh, and here come these gangbangers, and, and uh, they're going to beat this North Carolina boy up. I just took my, I had my coat over my shoulder, I remember that, and I just threw it on the pavement. And I thought, they're probably going to beat me up. But bless God, I'll take an ear and an eye or something. I, I you know, I'll do something. I mean, I'll bite an ear, I'll poke an eye. Well, I didn't realize, I didn't realize it, but in the in all that commotion, my little wife had run into the into the McDonald's, and there was about at least, at least, probably at least 20 preacher boys in there. Brother Carlo Leto was one of them. Y'all met Brother Carlo, big old farm boy. She ran in and said, Brother Carlo, Brother Carlo, they're about to beat up Brother Steve. Yeah. And all of a sudden, man, all these preacher boys came running out, man, all got their white shirts, uh, sleeves rolled up, ties halfway down to here. And they're like, where they at? Where they at? You know. And these gangbangers decided to get back in their car and head down the road. Amen. Then yep. you say, preacher, what, what's your point? My point is, is that when you are getting ready to go into a major battle, you want somebody You want an anchor man. You want somebody that you know is going to be there to help you and support you. And bless God, fight for you. He'll say, well, preacher, what's the best way to get God to come? Worship. Worship. And God said, if you'll worship me, I'll just come sit down. And boy, I'm going to tell you something, church. If God's right next to you, nobody can mess with you. And so... Worship invites the presence of God. We're done, but listen to this. And I'm going to use this word very carefully. But number two, worship intimidates the enemy. Now, you don't have to go there because I want you to go somewhere else in just a moment. But you can write it down. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says it like this. And they overcame him. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about the accuser of the brethren. That's Satan. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now take your Bibles and we're done. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. I gotta show you the neatest story. Man, I'm telling you, this is amazing. 2 Chronicles chapter number 20 in your Bibles. And in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, we read the story of a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's about 35 years old. He's the king of Judah. And the Bible tells us that Ammon and Moab are coming over to take over Judah. Our Bible tells us that they have a massive army. And so they're coming over. They've announced it. They're coming over. We're taking over. You don't have a chance. You might as well surrender. We're coming. And there's nothing that you can do about it. And in this story, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat gets all the people together and they begin to pray, but they don't just pray. Oh, church, you got to look at this. This is amazing. 2 Chronicles 20, are you there? Look at verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Wait a minute now. There is a Major battle that's getting ready to take place. And they are worshiping the Lord. Verse 19 And the Levites of the, and of the Children of the, um, uh, and, and the Levites of the Children of the Kohathites and of the Children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tokoah as they went, and as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me old Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe, the, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. That's good advice, by the way. And when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 22, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Verse 23, For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah... Came toward the watchtower in the wilderness. They looked unto the multitude. And behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth and none escaped. You say, preacher, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Right smack dab as a battle's getting ready to break loose. The people of God worshipped. Jehoshaphat said, hey folks, let's just praise the Lord. Well, Joshua, we're getting ready to go hey, into a major battle. Let's just praise the Lord. In fact, hey, some of our singers, could y'all come on up here and uh, hey, let's just uh, w- can you sing a song that really exalts Him and praises Him? And man, He put some singers up there and they begin to sing and they begin to praise the Lord and and the enemy was right there, right there next to Him and they begin to worship God. And you know what happened? God said, "You know what? I think I'll stay for a while." And God sat down. And the Bible says he wiped out the entire army. I found this story, man, it's uh, interesting. The citizens of Feldkirk, Austria, didn't know what to do. Napoleon's massive army was preparing to attack Soldiers had been spotted on the heights above the little town which was situated on the Austrian border. A council of citizens was hastily summoned to decide whether they should try to defend themselves or display the white flag of surrender. It happened to be Easter Sunday. And the people had gathered in the local church. The pastor rose and said, Friends, We've been counting on our own strength and apparently that has failed. As this is the day of our Lord's resurrection, let us ring the bells and have our services as usual and leave the matter in his hands. We know only our weakness and not the power of God to defend us. The council accepted his plan and the church bells began to ring. The enemy hearing the sudden ringing of the bells, concluded that the Austrian army evidently had arrived during the night to defend the town and before the service ended, the enemy broke camp and left. You know what happened? The church said, let's ring the bells. It's Easter. Let's ring the bells. I don't know what, I don't know what else we can do. Let's just ring the bells. And when the enemy heard the bells ringing, they thought, well, reinforcements are coming. We better get out of Dodge. You say, Pastor, I am right now going through the biggest battle of my entire life. Any advice? I do have some good advice tonight. Ring the bells. Go home tonight and find you 20 things to worship God about. Go home tonight and find, find, and I'm serious about this, go home and get you a notepad and a pen or a pencil and write down tonight, in the middle of your battle, write down 30 things that you ought to be thankful for. And just go down through your list and say, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your long-suffering. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being such a giving God. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. Amen. Just start praising the Lord. Listen, listen, church. The truth of the matter is, we don't worship like we ought to. Ask us a question. When's the last time? When's the last time anybody thanked God for a toothbrush in here? We say, Pastor, I've never thanked God for a toothbrush. I wonder how it'd be if we didn't have one. Man, I was, I was thanking the Lord today. I was thanking the Lord for running water. I was thanking the Lord for. For indoor plumbing. It's getting ready to get cold, church. And if you've got to trot out back to the old, little Johnny house, you know what? You'll be really thankful for indoor plumbing. Can I get a witness right there? And yet, you know what we do? We take that for granted, and yet there are people all over the world who don't have one bathroom. And we have two or three in our house. And they have to go out to some little place, you know, to use the restroom. Man, I'm just saying, if right now the enemy's fighting you, go home and say, wait a minute, what are some things I need to be thankful for? And just write them down and then just start worshiping. Just start worshiping. And maybe, just maybe, God will sit down and stay for a while. Father, we love you. And thank you for this time we've had together tonight. Lord, it seems like this is the day of battles. I don't know when I've seen more Christians discouraged. I'm meeting preachers that are discouraged. Lord, people are fighting battles in their families, their homes, their workplace. Lord, it just seems like, Lord, the enemy, it just seems like the enemy won't let up. And Lord, if we're not careful, sometimes we get so focused on the battle that we forget that we're not defenseless. God, you've given us some weapons. And tonight, Lord, I want to say thank you for the word of God. Lord, where would I be without my Bible? God, thank you for the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, thank you for the way of prayer and Father, tonight I want to thank you for the wonder of worship. And God, I pray that you'd help this church never, ever to lose its worship. And Father, I pray that this will always be a Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting place. And Lord, when visitors come here and people come, God, I pray that they'll sense that God is awesome and amazing. So, Lord, it could be there's somebody here tonight. In fact, I feel sure of it. Somebody's going through a battle. And, Lord, the enemy has tracked them and is trying to leave them defenseless. And, Lord, tonight, would you remind them that you've given them some wonderful weapons. And tonight, Lord, I pray that we'll use those weapons. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I wonder tonight, real quickly before we go, how many are here tonight would say, preacher, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. And if you can say that as a glorious testimony, you just slip your hand up and just sort of wave it to the Lord and say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. What a joy to be saved. Thank you, you can lower your hands. Let me ask you this though, how many are here tonight? And you'd say, preacher, I couldn't raise my hand. If I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. If you're watching by way of the live stream, I want you to raise your hand. Preacher, if I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. And you'd slip your hand up right now and just let me pray for you. Thank you so much. Maybe somebody here tonight, and some folks are on the altar tonight, but somebody here tonight, and you'd say, preacher, boy, I'm I'm fighting a battle right now. Something, there's something. And the enemy's really been, the enemy has really been fighting hard. And I need you to pray. I need you to pray for me. And if that's you tonight, you just slip your hand up. Say, preacher, remember me. Remember our family. Remember us. Yes, yes, yes. Amen, 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 yep. Hands all over the house tonight. Well, thank God, God's not left us defenseless. We have some weapons, and they're powerful weapons. And tonight, church, let's decide to use them. And so let's all stand around the house this evening. Father, I pray that you'll bless in this time of invitation. And Lord, I know this is a Wednesday night, but it's a good time to do business with the Lord. Midway through the week, God, that one that's struggling tonight, that one that needs victory tonight, God, I pray you'd give it to them. Lord, I pray tonight that they would declare that they are more than conquerors to Christ that loves them. Father, maybe tonight there's someone here that's not in the Word of God like they need to be. Lord, maybe it's been many, many days since they've spent some time in the book. And Lord, tonight that's about to change. Lord, tonight, may they come to you and say, Lord, forgive me for that that lack. And God, please teach me your word. Maybe there's someone here tonight, Lord, that hasn't been involved in the way of prayer in a long time. And tonight, Lord, that's about to change as they get serious about their prayer life and their prayer trail. And God, maybe tonight we've not been in worship like we ought to be. Lord, would you remind us that there's more, there's more to worship service than just Sunday morning. Lord, if that's the only worship service we're involved in, that's not enough. Father, we ought to have a worship service on Monday and a worship service on Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week. And so, Lord, tonight, forgive us for our unthankfulness and help us to worship you. And our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you need to come, the altars are open tonight. If you're watching by way of the live stream, we're glad that you're aboard tonight. And there's a number on the bottom portion of your screen. 704-327- 5662. And if you're watching tonight and you have a need, if you need Christ or if you need someone to pray with you, would you call that number? We have some folks that are They're anticipating your call right now. They're waiting by the phone. And they want to help you tonight. We want to help you tonight. The Lord wants to help you tonight. And I hope you'll call. And so heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And we're just going to pause a moment. Didn't preach that long tonight. Time's not really late. We're going to be out of here in just a moment. But if you need to come, now's a great time.